it's still emotional. I mean, I was born only three weeks after my parents left for the U.S. Um, so, you know, I, I always say that I was made in Cuba, which I was. Um, but it's, it's, it is incredible to think that really only by the, the grace of my parents saying, you know what, we, we don't want to stay here. We want to try for a better life in the U.S. Otherwise, I'd be here. You know, just to think of, of how my life would have been so different. That's the most emotional part. I mean, you know, I was raised in the U.S. The reason I have one foot in Cuba, even though I never lived here growing up, is because my parents made sure to, for me to understand, hey, you're Cuban. You'd be proud of what your heritage is. You, you know, this, embrace it. You may have seen all the odes and stories and tales and memories and grief from baseball writers and sports media Sunday following the sudden death of one of the best of us. ESPN's Pedro Gomez was many things ace reporter, fireside storyteller, proud father, generous mentor, friend to all. And there's no way to capture all of that in words. But I hope by resharing a conversation, that gives you a feel for why he meant so much to so many of his peers. In December 2015, Pedro was one of 13 journalists to travel to Havana, Cuba with Major League Baseball and the MLBPA on what was called a goodwill tour. This was baseball diplomacy. I was fortunate enough to be one of the 13 as well. It was a remarkable trip, all the more so in hindsight. Our fight back to Miami was delayed. We were uncertain when or if we'd leave that day. I had promised to take my son that evening to the opening night of Force Awakens, the new Star Wars movie. Pedro's son, Rio, was at Arizona, two seasons, two baseball seasons removed from being drafted by the Red Sox. In between our conversations about what we had seen in Havana and the sons we were eager to see that evening, we recorded a conversation for Best Podcast in Baseball that ran a few days later. The podcast starts with the sounds of our plane landing in Havana, and you'll hear airport noise throughout as we waited for the call on when our flight might arrive or when we had to get to the gate. But most of all, I hope what you hear is what that trip meant to Pedro, what both of us hoped it meant to baseball, and that you also get a sense of why you're seeing so much about what Pedro meant to baseball riders. Welcome to Havana. For your safety, please remain seated. We are silver rank fasten until the aircraft has come to a complete stop and the fasten seatbelt sign has been turned off. Okay, I've, I've been able to find a quiet corner here of the Havana Airport, so please forgive me if there are any announcements in the background, but we should uh, listen intently because our, our flight has been delayed here. Our flight to Miami has been delayed by weather, all types of flights, flights to Tampa, flights to New York, even a flight to Key West has been delayed by some uh, foul weather here running between Cuba and Florida. But uh, oh, oh, but first, this is BPIB Short, and I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Coming to you for the first time internationally for our best podcast in baseball. I wanted to bring you this podcast because I had a chance to talk to ESPN reporter Pedro Gomez. He's been at ESPN for 13 years and he was making his fourth trip to Cuba. His first was back in 1999 when he was a baseball writer with the Arizona Republic. It was a very emotional trip for him as he is the son of two Cubans who left this island for Miami shortly before his birth. I'll let him tell that story. Pedro was an essential resource for those of us who came along on this Major League Baseball Goodwill Tour, this three-day whirlwind that involved two clinics, and also the presence here on the 
two-year anniversary of the announcement by President Obama and Cuban President Raul Castro that they would attempt to normalize relationships, that they would reopen diplomatic channels. Major League Baseball wanted to be one of the first olive branches, uh, better put, maybe a bridge between the two nations that have been divided by decades of an embargo. They brought back players, Cuban players, who defected from the country to participate in the clinics and to make their first appearance on the island, some of whom had not been here, like Yasiel Puig and Jose Abreu, since they left. With all that as the backdrop, I wanted to talk to Pedro about how this trip, his fourth trip to Cuba, was different, but also ask him if his next trip, the fifth trip, whenever it happens, how different that could be. Yeah, Derek, this is my fourth time here, and I will honestly say that each trip has been so different than the previous one. Um, this one, they're, they're always really wall-to-wall in terms of just we get on the treadmill and we're just going nonstop the entire time we're here. It's like you're cramming everything in to a short period of time. But in terms of what can come from this, I think the fact that Jose Abreu, Yasiel Puig, people who just defected within the last few years have been invited back back to Cuba, I think that speaks volumes about where the Cuban government is going in terms of allowing Cuban ball players to go play in the major leagues through a system where they don't have to risk their lives to get there. Can, can you put in context how big of a change that is just from your first trip here in 99 to now? Oh my lord. I mean, in 99, Fidel Castro was still in power. He sat with Bud Selig and Peter Angelos in the front row at Estadio Latinoamericano. And, uh, you know, there was never a thought of anything like this being possible. Rafael Palmero, who was born in Cuba, was on that Orioles team, refused to come here. Now, he he would have been allowed to, but he refused to. Um, And then to think that guys have been invited back within just a few years of their defection. I, I just... It, it, the, the enormity and the gravity of it, I, I don't know that the casual fan in the U.S. understands exactly how enormous it is and the possibility of allowing Cubans to play at the major league level, like I said, without having to to go through human smugglers or human trafficking or or risking their lives in in the open seas. That that is just, um, it's something that was unfathomable even as little as 12 months ago. I'll be honest. I didn't feel there. I thought there were times where, look, I, I saw what was going on, and I knew the political importance of it and the political gravity, but there were times where I felt I wasn't worthy to write it because I didn't know it in my bones. Yeah. You know, that, it, that's what it was. It was like I don't I don't know what these guys went through or their families went through in their bones. And to, to be able to articulate that, I, I, I struggled. I, I hope I did okay, but it does seem like it's something that you have to have been through to truly understand what it means to have Tony Castro walk up and talk to Jose Abreu. <laughs> and, and put his arm around him, and for Jose Abreu to reciprocate that warmth with Tony Castro. And, um, I mean, you're talking about Tony Castro, the son of Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the, the people who... S- you know, are the the face, so to speak, of the communist government here, and yet um, no issues on that problem on that front here. And certainly, uh, you know, in talking to Tony yesterday, he and I, it, it was one of those things where 
the way he phrased it is, look, the train has left the station. And it's going to be really, really hard to stop it at this point. The fans want it. The players on both sides want it. I want it is what he said. Um, so I think that it's going to happen. I think that a unified Cuban team in the 2017 World Baseball Classic will be incredible to watch. Hopefully that happens because that will add so much to the World Baseball Classic, um, which is not that far away. It's only about 14, 15 months away from now. So that that will be fantastic. And But, you know, Derek, getting back to your original point there, that I, I think that now that you've been here to Cuba, even though it was just for a few days, I think you you probably have a far better grasp of what all of this means. How was that for you? I mean, the, you had Tony Castro come on live, and it kind of scrambled. <laughs> and it, you had Tony Castro come on live, and it was kind of a scramble. And to let you know, I can edit out your cough and all. I edit it. So you had Tony Castro come on live on ESPN, and it was kind of a scramble to get him there. Um, can you... Talk us through how you did that. What, what prompted you to try to do that, and then how? And then for you, did that at all become a, as personal as it was clearly professional to, to try to get that interview? Yeah, I mean you have to be a professional first and foremost. Right. That's our job. We're journalists. Uh, we're here to document. We're here to describe what we see, things like that. So, but it, you know, I, the day before I talked to him and I said, "Hey, I want to get you on," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, sure." But I, and then talking. To other people, they all told me, he'll say yeah, yeah, sure, sure, but he won't do it. And then I saw him talking to Joe Torre and uh, and Dan Halem out on the field, and I thought, you know what, our time is coming up, and I'm just going to try. I'm going to roll the dice and see. So I went up, and he said, no, no, I made a promise. I have to go on MLB Network first. And I said, well, you know, they're not here right now. They're not live. He goes, no, but that was my promise. And I said, yeah, but we're here. You told me you'd do it. And he said, yeah, but I made a promise. And then Joe Torrey was there. Dan Halen was there. And I said, look, they don't care. And Torrey, to his credit, did turn and say, look, Tony, if you want to go on, it's up to you. You don't have to, but it's your decision. Okay. We're okay with it. Yeah. And then I basically said, see, Tony, let's go. And I grabbed his arm and just walked him over. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have to do that, as you know, Derek. Yeah, and was there something you wanted to get him on the record saying? I mean, was there something important that you thought could move the ball a little bit with that interview? I mean, I think I think just talking in general about the possibility of Cubans having, having some type of a system where Cubans can go play in the major leagues. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask. The unification of a possible World Baseball Classic team, that was another issue that I wanted to talk about. Um, the, the important of this goodwill tour, of having you know, recent defectors already invited back into Cuba openly the way they did. These are all things that I thought were incredibly important. And I know later when he talked to the writers, you guys, you know, it was it was the same for you, Derek. Yeah. I mean, I thought that. I, th- I thought there were some interesting things he said. He obviously was very guarded. Sure, he was uh, diplomatic. Very, yeah, very <laughs> and, and nervous. I think that was clear. Uh, you know, he did your interview in English, yeah. and he spoke to us in Spanish, yeah. um, with the translator. So, yeah, there, there was some to it. What? Uh, so, 
to, just to kind of go back a little bit, what's it like for you coming here? And if you don't mind sharing some, yeah. I mean, your, your parents are from yeah. here. You, you have had a chance to go and see where they grew up, uh, where they lived, yeah. uh, how they met. Uh, I mean, what is it like coming here? This is, it's not, it's not like a family album, but it's pretty close, right? No, it's, it's, it's incredibly emotional for me. It's my fourth time and it's still, the first time I will say was the most emotional, yeah. but it's still emotional. I mean, I was born only three weeks after my parents left for the U.S. Um, so, you know, I, I always say that I was made in Cuba, which I was. Um, but it's, it's, it is incredible to think that really only by the, the grace of my parents saying, you know what, we, we don't want to stay here. We want to try for a better life in the U.S. Otherwise, I'd be here. I'd be, I'd have, this is where I would have lived my entire life up to this point in all likelihood. And, um, you know, just to think of, of how my life would have been so different. That's the most emotional part. I mean, you know, I was raised in the U S I, I was born there, like I said, by three weeks. Um, and, and just how life always is so interesting and throwing curveballs. And to me, that's, that's the biggest thing that I, when I come here, I know that this would have been my homeland. I know that I am part of here, but yet it's it's kind of like having one foot in each side. I have one foot in Cuba, one foot in the U.S. And the reason I have one foot in Cuba, even though I never lived here growing up, is because my parents made sure to for me to understand. Hey, you're Cuban. You'd be proud of what your heritage is. You you know this. Embrace it. And Derek, you know, from the moment I probably met you years ago, you knew I was Cuban because I always tell everybody I'm Cuban. Yeah. I always do. <laughs> what does that mean to you to, to be Cuban? Because, I mean, it, you go back far enough uh, for generations, and being Cuban means different things. Yeah. Before the revolution, yeah. being, being Cuban is something different than for somebody like me, a, a child you know, of the 80s, being Cuban. What, what does that mean to you? It's, it's, it's an incredible sense of pride. Mm-hmm. It, it is, because... Um, you know, my wife always kids me about every TV show or every movie. Often, I should say, not every, but there's there's sometimes a reference to Cuba, mm-hmm. to something. There's always some kind of a reference. She goes, what is it? Why do they romanticize it so much? I said... I always tell her, I said, well, it's kind of the forbidden fruit. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, if you can't have it, you want to know why you can't have it. So I tell her she's lucky. She, <laughs> she's lucky. She gets it all the time. So, but it's, it's just, I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. romanticized because we don't know what's behind the curtain. What happens when we do? I think it's going to be different. I think it's going to be far different. Um, it's, it's probably going to be like East Berlin when, when the Soviet Empire fell. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it won't... Derek, in a lot of ways, you're lucky that you came now because you got to see the before. Um, I think it'll be far different once it does open up. You know, it'll be Taco Bells, Kentucky Fried Chickens, McDonald's, Holiday Inns. Subway. Subway. It's going to be... It's going to be... Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. So it won't be the same. There'll be billboards. Podcasts. And billboards. <laughs> because we know right yeah. now, you and I, every yeah, single yeah, yeah. billboard is political. It was there amazing. is not one billboard for any product. Yeah. Not one. It's only for the motherland, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, you know, their, their political messages 
messages and things like that, which you and I found incredibly interesting. They're fantastic. Yeah, yeah they are. Um, so it's going to be so different, so different. Um, and I'm not sure that it's going to be for the better in the early run. Can you describe what role baseball should play in this, in your opinion? I mean, what, what, what role should baseball play in this? I think baseball is playing the role that sports can often play. And baseball being so important here in Cuba, um, it is the number one sport. I know that soccer has made some inroads, but deep down, this is baseball. Um, and I think baseball is opening political doors. I really, really believe that. It's not that it's going to be the final acts of diplomacy. That has to be negotiated at the diplomatic table. But I think baseball, believe it or not, is getting the two sides to the table. I think it's playing a huge role, a key role in in bringing two adversaries, former adversaries, a lot closer. Yeah, I had a little pet theory that when, obviously, we're talking on December 18th, uh, which is a year and a day after President Obama and Raul Castro announced the plan to normalize relations and reopen diplomatic channels, I I thought, I had a little pet theory that baseball equipment would play a big role in bringing the two countries, and not just baseball, but you bring new equipment here, you know, Castro, obviously, so we have obviously so many sporting good equipment, you know, manufacturers that, that almost you'd have like just this, uh, the planes come in with new bats and balls and that that would be like a gesture, you know, and I, I know it's trickier to do that, but I, I kind of thought on the grassroots level we'd even see baseball start to change things. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because Ted Barrett, the major, the veteran major league umpire, happened to be here coincidentally at the same time. I was in the umpire's room with him at Estadio Latinoamericano and he introduced me to some of the Cuban umpires and he said, yeah, last year we came to a couple of games and all the umpires were wearing different colored shirts. They weren't in uniform. And one of the things I made sure to do is I brought them uniforms so that they could look the same. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. You know, I noticed that the home plate umpire just had regular shoes on. And, you know, we get, he was telling me, we get new shoes all the time. The ones with the steel toes for foul balls to protect your feet. I took up a collection from all the umpires. Look, if you're not doing anything with these, give them to me. I'm going to bring them to Cuba. So even things like that are, are, you know, and these are the umpires. That's not even the players. It it, it just goes to show how baseball is this, it's a universal language, at least between the U.S. and Cuba. We we said Kevin Baxter of the Los Angeles Times had a great idea. He, before we came here with Tom and he said, pack some baseballs. And so we brought down baseballs and threw them into the crowd just so the kids who came to watch would also go back with with a ball. I thought that was just a really nice touch, you know, Kevin. I mean, just a great idea, you know, to do that. And you never know uh, that that kid could keep the ball for a year. Well, maybe not because not, maybe now new balls will come in all the time. But yeah, can you just describe the the style of baseball and what we saw on the youth level at these clinics and how that grows into the game that the the the, the National League plays here? 
Well, it's 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 a game filled with flair. But that is the way the game has always been played in Latin countries, especially in Cuba. You know, you go back years and years, decades, to a guy like Burke Campaneris. And the initial scouting reports were, well, he's a little too flashy. He doesn't, you know, take the game seriously. Nobody took the game as serious as Burke Campaneris. He was flashy, yes, because that's how he learned to play the game. They play with a distinct flair. Even on a more recent basis, Yasiel Puig has been often criticized. Look, he gets criticized for his off-the-field antics, and rightfully so. But on the field, oh my God, he's a clown out there. He's a, you know... No, that's how he learned to play the game, with flair. You play the game with flair. It's not just about, let's put on a serious face, this is a serious game. It's a game. It's a game, and that's how it's embraced here in Cuba. And you play as though you are having the time of your life because you are, you're playing a game as an adult and you should be incredibly happy. You're not, it's not a real job. It's not a regular job. There's work involved. I'm not saying there's not, but you know, we always hear about how many people would love to trade places with these guys. Well, they're, they're just showing their enthusiasm for the game. We were talking at the, uh, at the Hotel National about, you know, just the, the culture here and how difficult or the, if ever Everybody's equal. What that means for trying to get ahead, or you know, we have obviously the rat race, and does that vanish here because of the government and the and the culture? And I wondered if baseball becomes an outlet for com- for a competitive spirit in a country like this, with um, you know, with a system like it is, because of statistics. You may not make more money, you may not be able to have a nicer home because of things that are controlled, but you can have more home runs. <laughs> You can have a higher average. You can start having like a self-worth, a ranking system. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder, I mean, is that is that at all fair, you think? Well, and I think we've even seen it here in talking to people that um, the bigger star you are in the Serie Nacional, which is the Cuban professional, not professional league, but because they're not professionals, but the Cuban league, the highest league here, um, the better player you are, you do get a little bit of perks. Yeah, you yeah. might get a newer car. But when I say newer car... It might be a 2002 Hyundai. <laughs> so let's not let's not kid ourselves that they're getting a Mercedes or right. anything like that. Um, and you might get a little bit better apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, it's 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 difficult to understand that because you know in the U.S. If you work hard, you can usually, you know, you can Im- improve your status, right. whether it be a new car, a new house, a better neighborhood, whatever. You know, it, it, it's based upon merit for the most part. I'm not saying 100%, but it is. And here, you can live next door to someone, work six times harder than they do, and nothing is going to change. You, here's your monthly stipend, and, and your neighbor gets the exact same monthly stipend. So these are some of the issues that I think are going to be problems should Cuba ever open up and become capitalist because you know the capitalism works where you work harder you improve more. Do you, do you think that's at all why baseball captivates people here because it has that I mean it does have some capitalism in it. Absolutely I think it's the same like the Dominican Republic when you know you, the guys go back to the DR and after they've played in the major leagues or if they've already played uh, and they're rock stars because they've made it they got out they were able to make money they were able to improve their status Um, and it'll be no different 
it's no different with baseball in that sense. It is a way out. Clayton Kershaw told me that yesterday when I interviewed him. Uh, he said, you know, I understand that it is a way out. Baseball is truly a great game in that sense, that it gives you an opportunity. It doesn't matter what color you are, what you look like. It's your talent. So if you have talent, you have an opportunity to make better. And I think, yeah, baseball will play a role like that. Do you think this changed players or changed his view? I mean, some of the guys who had never been to Cuba, like Clayton Kershaw, John Jay got to see some of the, you know, some of the sites from his family. His parents were both from Cuba, like yours. Um, you know, you had uh, Miguel Cabrera, and Nelson Cruiser, do you think some of their experiences here change them or maybe change their views of the teammates they have or will have from Cuba? Certainly in talking to Kershaw, he, he seems to think it will because, let's face it, there's no team with more Cubans than probably the Dodgers mm-hmm. when you include Puig and Guerrero and uh, Grandal and, uh, yeah, I'm missing a few, Arrue, Barrena, um, you know, there's, they've right, got they're very aggressive. Yeah, yeah. They're very, they've been very aggressive. They had Oliveira and traded him to the Atlanta. Um, he, he told me how going to the DR last year kind of changed his mindset toward the Dominican players. He had a much better understanding of where they've been where, and how they had to fight to get out. So you'd like to think, you know, but Kershaw's also one of the more enlightened players. I mean, he goes on missions to Africa to help impoverished kids and things like that. So you're talking about somebody that really has an enlightened outlook in life. But, you know, he might be able to spread that word to other players who don't understand why Puig is so flashy. So hopefully... It, it could. It could absolutely help mend some bridges. Baseball could use a little flashiness. I mean, you know, it could use a little caliente, I mean, to be honest. I'm, I'm in complete agreement. I, You know, when you see, hey, look, there's a reason Puig caught everyone by storm when he first came up. Yeah. yeah I mean, let's, let's remember that first month or so that he was with the Dodgers a few years ago. We couldn't get enough of him. And that included not just us as journalists, but fans. Fans couldn't get enough because, holy cow, who is this that's come? And how is he playing at this level with that type of style? Style, style you know, it, it, it's coming. There's not going to be a way to slow it down. It's kind of like the water rushing in. You, you can't really stop it. We've seen it in the NFL already. I mean, when we were growing up, a guy scored a touchdown, he handed the ball to the referee. Right. Now it's all about the dance. The icky shuffle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about the dance and how's he going to spike it and what's he going to do. And, you know, you see, um, oh, God, the uh, Giants wide receiver dancing. Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz yeah. dancing yeah. the salsa. Um, you know, so you, you see players kind of work on that and the NFL is stronger than ever and fans tend to gravitate toward that type of of flashiness so I think baseball is probably heading in that direction and that's going to be much to the chagrin of some old school people. Kershaw went to the Enciarte Caliente, did I pronounce that correct? Esquina. 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 Ah. Hot corner. <laughs> the Esquina Caliente. I was working, I can spell it. Enciarte is the new outfielder who got traded from the Diamondbacks oh, so to Atlanta. And he is Caliente. <laughs> <laughs> the Venezuelan guy, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, Esquina Caliente. They went there, and the, the, it was a cool setup because a couple of the Major League Baseball officials and the union officials went and tried to get the guys 
engaged in a conversation, and one of the things that they did was they said, well, who's the best Yankees manager, Joe Girardi or Joe Torre? And he, they got him going, and as they were arguing, Joe Torre walked up <laughs> and totally set him up. But uh, Kershaw was there, and they were asking him to come up with a U.S. lineup to combat the uh, Cuban, the Cuban potential unified. Yeah, the unified Cuban lineup in the World Baseball Classic. And they, they argued, and he said, I only got five in because they kept arguing. But eventually he told them, Cuba's going to crush us. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, I did interview Pedro Luis Lazo, who's a great pitcher here yeah. in the 90s. Olympic pitcher. Absolutely. Olympic champion, Pan American champion, international competition champion, just a phenomenal pitcher here. King Kong, right? <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Oh, he's a big guy. Big yeah. guy. It's about 6'5". Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I said, so if there is a unified Cuban team, what would happen? And he just laughed and said, oh, Cuba would win easily. Do you think that's a big takeaway from this trip, the, the possibility of that? Or is that a is that a subplot to a bigger story? I, I think allowing Cubans to not have to risk their lives is probably number one. But I think in terms of fan interest, yes, that's number one. Okay. The, 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 unified, the possible unified Cuban team has to be number one because that's going to be – everyone's going to follow that team should they get together at the next WBC. You know what? But I don't think that's superficial. I think that's a huge part of this. And you, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I was really struck by the fact that, look, the politics are thorny and they're complicated and everything. But Tony Castro is charismatic and enthusiastic. And, I, you know, I wrote for the, the paper today about that moment where he was taking stuff from the crowd yeah. to Jose Abreu to sign. I'm like, that's the moment. That This is the only guy who can do that. <laughs> this is the only guy who can bridge these two, this, this thing and carry it to highest levels because he has the name, but he also has this passion for it. So I don't think it's I don't yeah. think a, a, a unified Cuban team is superficial at all. Show them the product and people will want the product. Oh my god. I, I think the uh that, that's a team that should should it get together, the ratings for those games might be higher than the U.S. teams awesome. in in the early stages yeah, yeah. Of, of the World Baseball Classic because it's doubtful they'll be in the same bracket, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. They'll probably be in different brackets. Mm-hmm. They'll probably want to set it up where they could face each other in the finals or the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico, you know, the baseball yeah, superpowers. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think people would be so intrigued with a unified Cuban team. Absolutely. And you don't have to be Cuban to be engrossed with following that type yeah, of a team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, uh, well, it goes back to your forbidden fruit. It's something we've never seen. Exactly, exactly. What, what were some of your favorite moments from this trip? Some of the things that you'll take back from this, this fourth visit? I think I think um, watching guys like Abreu and Puig step on the country and be so emotional because that's something that they admitted there's no way I'll ever be able to go back, not for a long time. And to be back here within just a matter of 36 months or so, 40 months, that that's almost unheard of. But I think watching, you know, everybody light up because these are guys that they, baseball fans here in Cuba know to an extent what these guys are doing in the, in the major leagues. But to be able to see them again, the fans who followed them when they played here in Cuba, I think just looking at those faces 
and seeing the amount of passion behind those fans for these for these players that that was enormous yeah we're, we're sitting here waiting for our flight to take off which is really delayed and we're unsure if we're going to get to leave here on time um, is there as you mentioned this is your fourth trip the next time you come back it could be for a spring training game the Rays are supposed to play if it all works out uh, or it could be after that the next time you come back is there any bittersweetness to this departure because of kind of what we know could be on the horizon you might not see a Cuba like this the next time you land yeah, to a degree. I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful that I've been able to see it before because I think it will be really different if Cuba should ever open up, truly open up. But um, no, I'm just always th- not bittersweet. It's it's more thankful that I'm able to come. Like I said, it's the fourth time I've been able to come here. I never dreamed that I'd be able to come because growing up, my parents were like, oh, no, we'll never go to Cuba, never go to Cuba. And I remember in 99 when I said, look, I have an opportunity to go. And my mom was like, no, you can't go. You can't go. It's not open. You can't go. They'll keep you. You don't know what they'll do. And, and I said, no, they know I'm going. You know, it's 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 more of a motherly worry. Uh, my dad was more excited. He's like, yeah, you should go. Absolutely. Go, go. And drew me a map of where he grew up and was able to go visit the neighbors that, that still remembered him vividly. Um, remembered my mom pregnant with me at the time. Um, so I, it's, it's, it is going to be different at some point, but it's, uh, it's still always going to be so special for me. But you always have those, that, those moments trapped. Yes, that exactly. Can't take that away. Pedro, thank you for everything. Thanks for being a de facto tour guy, but also uh, a welcome historian. And, and I mean, this has been an amazing trip. I, I can't say enough. And thank you for all you did to help us here. See, Derek, even for you, this is going to be a once in a lifetime type trip, even if you come back. Yeah. Because oh, it no was doubt. your first time. Absolutely. Yeah, and no doubt. And to see what, like, it's the I forbidden mean, look, fruit. But and also, you're here. But also, think of how this is going to look 10 years from now through the prism when we look back. If this was the first baby step in a greater leap, you know, that one small step for Major League Baseball, one giant leap for relations kind of yeah. stuff. Man, this, we're going to look back on this and go, we saw something at amazing. Its at its infancy. Yeah. We were there at the ground floor. Yeah. Thanks, Pedro. All right, Derek. My pleasure. This has been another BPIB short, but a special one, as I interviewed Pedro Gomez while we sat in the cafe at the Havana airport, awaiting our flight back to Miami. I apologize for not being able to put together a full-length Best Podcast in Baseball with Post-Dispatch Sports columnist Benjamin Hockman this week, but I did bring back some stories from Cuba that I will put together in a podcast to kind of supplement and augment our coverage at stltoday.com and in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and of course, right before the holiday. As they all arrive, that could be the flight. Hold on. Ah. But of course, right before the holidays, we hope to be back with a full-length best podcast in baseball to catch up with some of the news, because last I checked, there has been some news around the Cardinals here recently. Thanks, as always, for listening to us. Of course, you can find the BPIB at iTunes, where you can listen, download, subscribe, and even rate and review. We are still checking the reviews, and we got some New Year's resolutions to make. So thank you very much for your help. For the best podcast in baseball, this is St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, hopefully soon to be leaving Havana, Cuba. Now in preparation for takeoff, please make sure, make certain your 
seatbelts are securely fastened. Seatbacks and tray tables are in their full upright and locked down position. Electronic devices are off and all carry-on items are stowed. All window shades should be open and all armrests down. We will be departing on our flight to Havana shortly. Thank <laughs> you.